All right, so tonight in Ephesians chapter 4, the big idea is this, is that you can change. And so let's look tonight in this chapter at five important elements of change or key truths to grow and to change. And so you can grow in change. Now, many times people, when they're in situations, they, they look at the situation and they despair. They don't believe that the situation can change. But with God's enabling power, yes, you can change. And we'll look at that tonight as we go through the series. And uh, so there's always hope. Always hope. And that's one thing that a Christian has that the non-Christian does not have. The Christian has hope. Now, I'll just share with you this basic idea that the material is sourced from uh, a seminar that I went to many years ago called On the Road Training Seminar. It was put on by NANC. Uh, they've changed their name, but NANC was National Association of Nuthetic Counselors. Nobody could remember that, and so they changed it to ACBC. Now, to me, that sounds like a rock group, but uh, it stands for Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. And so this is uh, really just uh, sourcing it from that material. So let's just be uh, giving credit to where uh, credit is due on that tonight. But uh, when we give biblical counseling, there's an assumption that change can take place because God commands it. And with every command of God, there is a divine supply of power to obey that command. And we'll look as we go through the scriptures tonight. Now, that change is necessary? Okay, even secular counselors would agree with that, all right? Uh, but within evangelical Christian uh, Christianity, sometimes there's a, a diversity in thought as to, well, what is the change? Well, what do we change from? What do we change into? All right. Uh, how do you go about that change? So there's a difference of variety, even on the way that Christians approach this, but the safest way to go about it is directly the way that the Lord has given us direction in the scripture to proceed with change. And so how to grow, how to change, five key truths. God has revealed these truths in the Bible. All right, <clears throat> so truth number one here tonight. God wants you to be changing. All right, so let's start out with this verse. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. All right, Paul uh, is telling the Corinthian church that they have been given new life in Christ, and as a result, their old lifestyle is passing away, and a new lifestyle is taking over in their lives. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming or become new. All right, so when you become a Christian, the old life is 
left behind. Uh, it is to be set off, and all things are to be coming new. So your life should change. I had a man that I was discipling for a couple of years, and um, when we were saying goodbye, uh, he came up and he, he wept on my, on my neck, and his comment was to me, was, Pastor, what has happened in my life uh, over the last couple of years is uh, kind of comparable to taking a hike up in the foothills. You start out down at the parking lot on flat ground, and then after a while, you get up on top of the hill, and you look back down on the parking lot in your car, and you say, wow, I've really come a long way. And he said, Pastor, my life has changed in the last couple of years, and I've really come a long way in my Christian walk with the Lord. And so here's someone who understood that change is something that God desires out of our life. Now, here's how the book of Ephesians is laid out, and not just Ephesians, but any of Paul's letters. The early chapters are all about doctrine, theology, all right? And a lot of people say, oh, more, boring, and they, they can't stay awake, or maybe they're not thinking about the, the great teaching. But then Paul switches gears in the second half of his epistles and puts it down to where we can understand it, all right, where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. And uh, so this is exactly what happens in the book of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3. The believers are richly blessed in Christ, all right? So uh, let's go to the book of Ephesians for just a second, chapter 1. You're going to be hanging out in chapter 4, so keep a, a marker there. But chapter 1, uh, we look at... Some wonderful truth, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath what? Blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. So we have been blessed spiritually. And he talks about some of those great blessings. He talks about um, being chosen in verse 4, uh, predestined us to the adoptions of the Son in verse 5, to the praise of His glory, of His grace in verse 6, and uh, just all all kinds of wonderful truth being sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise in verse 13 and 14, um, being spiritually made alive, chapter 2, verse 1, um, our position in Christ, okay, verse 13 of chapter 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you, you who were once were afar off are made near by the blood of Christ, uh, verse 14, he's our peace, all right, uh, verse uh, 19 through the end of the chapter, uh, we've been brought into this wonderful thing called the church. Um, chapter 3, the, the wonders of the mystery of the gospel, so forth. Okay, so I've given you enough examples of the doctrine, okay? Now, chapter 4, verse 1, look at this. I therefore, when you see the word therefore, you ask the question, why for is the therefore therefore? All right. Well, because of all the preceding truth and doctrine, that should result in some practical changes. So he says, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation to which you are called. And now he starts putting it down to where we understand. Walk humbly 
um, be meek, have long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So he talks about an internal attitude of humility, an external attitude in your interpersonal relationships with others. All right, now that's the kind of stuff that we get. I mean, we understand that's where we struggle, right? But the reason why he's exhorting us to do all of this is the wonderful truth and the doctrine that he's given us in the first few verses. And so now it translates into practical change in our lives, okay? Um, beginning um, in verse 25 of chapter 4, Wherefore put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for he remembers one another. Uh, verse 26, be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Verse 28, don't steal, but rather give. Verse 29, don't let corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but build one another up through your communication. Uh, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Then we come down to this list in verse 31. Uh, get rid of bitterness, get rid of wrath, get rid of anger, get rid of clamor. You know what clamor is? How many of you know what that word is? Okay. That just means loud arguing so that the neighbors can hear you. Okay? Get rid of that. Okay? And evil speaking. Don't talk bad about one another. And put it away uh, from you all malice, which is plotting your revenge. Okay? And then the positive character traits, be kind. How many of you, your parents taught you when you were growing up, if you can't say anything at all, uh, nice, don't say anything at all, right? How did I slaughter that one? I just did it, but I don't know how I did it, but you know what I was trying to say, right? If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. All right, so what they're trying to teach us is the proactive approach to speech. Be kind in your speech. And so this is what God is doing, is he's given us the proactive change. What do we change to? Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, uh, in the way that Christ has forgiven us. So God wants us to be changing. Now, I will be honest with you and say that uh, sometimes I, I really am my toughest critic. And I bemoan myself as a pastor and say, ah, I'm just no good as a pastor. But I know that God gives grace and there's no perfect pastor out there. Okay, And that God is equipped different men with different skill sets and abilities. One pastor put it this way, God has made pastors on a spectrum from two-cycle lawnmower engines to 16-cylinder uh, racing sports car engines, all right? I'm just kind of maybe the two-cycle, all right, <laughs> little engine. Just keep plodding along, and that's what God expects out of us, all right, is to be faithful what he's given to us. But can you imagine having Paul and Timothy as your pastors? Okay, now, Timothy might be able to make mistakes, but not Paul, because right? he was an inspired apostle. And so imagine that for a moment. All right, now, they wrote it down, not just for the benefit of the Ephesian believers, but for the benefit of the body of Christ. So in essence, there are pastors too, and they're trying to help us to see that Great spiritual blessings should result in great spiritual change. 
and it's possible because of all the blessings that we've had in our lives. Um, let's just look at their communication to the church at Ephesus about changing. All right, let's just run through the book here very quickly, chapter 4 specifically. Uh, let's go back to verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, that you walk worthy of the vocation by which you're called. Go down to verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You're not done growing. You're not done changing until you look like Jesus. I think every single Christian in this room tonight has room for improvement, don't you? All right. And now let's keep on moving. Let's look at the change that they want us to make. Verse 15, but speaking the truth and love that you may, what? Grow, grow up in him. All right, so we need to continue growing in all things. Who is the head, even Christ? Uh, go to verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify on the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. Okay, all right, I, I'm just going to be personal here, and I, I hope what I say to you doesn't tempt you. But I've heard a lot of Christians talking about a television show recently based on the name of a national park. And they talk about how wonderful that is. All of the, the beautiful scenery and all of the conservative values and so forth. Folks, I watched one episode and had to turn it off and I vowed I would never watch the series because it was filled with sex, immorality of the debo most debauched kind. Let's not walk that way as Christians. Be very careful what you recommend to other brothers and sisters in the Lord. Be very careful what you put in your own mind and what you accept uh, into your affections in your heart. And so don't walk as other Gentiles walk, all right? So as Christians, we've got to be held to a different standard, all right? So it, it's just that way. God expects us to change. All right, now, uh, chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. You might want to circle them, all right? If you have pencil or maybe off to the side of the page, maybe you can bracket them. This is the most concise definition and explanation of change that you can find anywhere in the Scripture. This will greatly help you. It summarizes the whole process. Are you ready? Have I emphasized it enough? Are you going to look at the verses as I read them? Here we go. Chapter 4, verse 22 through 24. That ye put off concerning the former manner of life, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that ye may put on the new man, which after God is created in righteous and true holiness. So put off, put on, be renewed. All right? Put off the old man, that old you before you came to know Christ, that sinful uh, passion of self. Just set that off like a, an old garment. Set that aside. Then you have to change the way that you think, and we'll talk more about that tonight. But then put on, all right? And I'll have a comment on that one a little bit later. All right, let's go over to chapter 5, verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. All right, so this is a very liberating statement. Be followers of 
our Christian school handbook. Be ye followers of pastor's personal opinions. Be ye followers of your denominational preferences. Be ye followers of a list of spirituality. Is that what it says? No. Be followers of God. All right? So we want to become like God. And so other Bible passages emphasize the need for change as well. We read 2 Corinthians 5.17, but Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? Living sacrifice. And then he goes on to say in verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? So change, though difficult, takes place through Christ's strength. So God's commands assume God's enablement. So let's go to Philippians chapter 2, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So just go to the next book over, just a few pages. Um, verse uh, Chapter uh, 2, and look with me at verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God's command is his divine enabling to be obedient. It is God who is working in you. You need to rely and trust upon that strength. Uh, we can find the same thing over in chapter 4. So uh, go back, uh, or go forward, chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. All right. Now, specifically, let's be honest and say that as Christians, sometimes we take that verse out of context. The, the, the specific context is that you can be content in your situation in life. All right. So that's what he's saying in verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am in this to be content. He knows how to be abased, and he knows how to be abound, abounding. Uh, he knows how to be hungry and to suffer need. And so then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. So um, then he goes on to talk about their generous giving. So if God commands you to become a giver, then you can learn to structure your finances to start giving to the Lord the glory that's due to him, the way that he wants you to give. All right, now, um, so change, though difficult, is possible. So there's hope for those who need comfort or change in their life. All right, truth number two tonight. God wants you to change into the image of his son. Remember I was saying earlier, sometimes there's a divergence of thought into, well, what do we change into? What exactly are we trying to so sometimes um, the goal is actually stated and it's in conflict with the word of God. Sometimes a church actually has it stated correctly, but then its culture is taught incorrectly. All right, so let me just share with you some, some thoughts of, of how my church growing up uh, had it right doctrinally, but wrong in practice. They had the right orthodox teaching, but they had the wrong orthopraxy, okay? So I'm not faulting the doctrine. I'm 
faulting the application. And so as I was growing up, um, it was very interesting. During the school year, uh, basketball season, which started in October and went like through March Madness, right? Uh, at practice, uh, the coach would put paper up over the windows and the guys could go shirts and skins, all right? Meaning half of the guys would take their shirts off then half of the guys would wear their t-shirts. Um, and so that was very interesting. But then when summer came around, we were told never to take our shirt off when we went out to the park to play basketball. And so I was like, okay. Um, and then 1980s, do you remember the style of the basketball shorts? Do you remember that? They were almost whitey tighties, okay? And ours were, were white because that was our school color. And they were so transparent that we actually had to wear underwear underneath of them because other people could see our athletic equipment and so forth. And uh, so then come summer, we were told it was a sin to wear shorts when we're out in public. So do you understand why I was confused about what spirituality really was as, as a teenager? And, and hearing the word of God about being modest, and well, then that was their practical demonstration of being modest. And, and then there were other things that were just not the way that they should have been. So they were right on paper, but they were wrong in practice. And so sometimes a church culture can actually be that way. One of the things that I appreciate about Calvary is it doesn't have that culture. Now, that may not have always been the way in the history of this ministry, as it has been in many churches of our denominational uh, fellowship. All right? We have maybe the label, but we're not under a denominational headquarters. We're an independent Baptist church. But sometimes we, we culturally do things within our own church that actually is against the spirit of the word of God. So what are we supposed to be doing? Are we supposed to be changing into the standards of our church or into the image of his son? So let's look at this uh, quickly. Um, let's go to chapter 4 of Ephesians again. And look at what we're supposed to do, and we'll do this in reverse order. Chapter 5, verse 1, be followers of God. Verse 32 of chapter 4, um, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So you forgive like God forgave you through Christ. Uh, verse 24 that you put on the new man which after God is created uh, in righteousness and true holiness. Going back to verse 15, that you may grow up into him. Who is that? That's Christ Jesus. Um, who is the, uh, verse uh, 14, uh, yeah, verse 13, uh, that we come into his stature, to the perfect man, the Son of God, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Um, and then going back to verse 1, uh, beseech you that you walk worthy of vocation with which you are called. And then, of course, what is God ultimately trying to do in our lives? All right, so let's go keep a ribbon here and go over to the book of Romans chapter 8 for just a moment. And looking at verse uh, 
28 and 29 of chapter 8. Now, we always know Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together uh, for good to them that love God, to those who what? are called according to his, well, what's his purpose? All right, verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, that's Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. You know, it was in Antioch, Syria, that the believers were first called little Christs. The world made fun of them because they were different. So the world meant it as a term of derision and called them Christians. I think for those believers in Antioch, Syria, that's the highest label of honor that you could ever achieve, is saying they're so different, they actually look like Jesus. You know the problem with the American church today? We don't look any different than the world. You walk into some church services, now not all, but it's like you've walked into a major rock concert venue. All right, uh, the little meme or the joke was that the ice machine quit working and so there was no fog on the stage that day, so they canceled services because the spirit couldn't move. All right, without the, the dry ice machine working, all right? And um, so we have to be very careful that we're trying to put ourselves to look like Jesus, not the world. And we can't appeal to people's carnal nature and expect them to change into the image of Christ. That's counterproductive to our spiritual growth. All right, let's go over to Colossians, so... Uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, chapter 1, verse 28. All right, Colossians 1, 28. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man, what? Perfect in Christ. Now, I think the idea here is not perfection, right? Sinless perfection, but spiritually mature. My goal as a pastor is to raise up a group of spiritually mature believers for the glory of Christ. And so Christ is the model for our life in ministry, not our favorite author, pastor, teacher, missionary, counselor, or mentor. So we have to be more and more conformed to the mind and the motives of Jesus Christ, which leads us to truth number three tonight. Uh, but first, let's remind ourselves that we can grow and we can change. But truth number three tonight, being more like Jesus means uh, we must be putting off the old man nature. All right. So let's go back to Ephesians 4.22. That you put off concerning the former manner of life, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. So... Our old man, our old self, equals the habits of thinking and acting out of our corrupt nature. Um, so let's just go back a couple of chapters, all right? In um, 
verse 3 of chapter 2. All right, go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Among whom also we had our manner of life or conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the what? The mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But, conjunctions are beautiful. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath made us alive together with Christ, by grace are ye saved. And so, our old nature must be set aside. There, there should be a difference in your life. You were this way, but you are no longer now. You're this way. All right? So that's basically what your salvation story should be, okay? I was this way, but now I'm this way. Have you ever heard somebody give their personal story and they, they look like the, the elephant man that's all exaggerated on one side of his life and they blow it all out of proportion and they spend 25 minutes telling you about all the sins that they've ever committed in their life and they say, but God changed me and they give no countermeasure, <laughs> no illustration or demonstration of how they changed, and you kind of wonder, should I be scared of you? You know, uh, should I really watch out? You know, and so remember when you're sharing your personal salvation story, okay, one or two examples of what you were before you came to know Christ, then you came to know Christ, and then one or two examples of what you're like after Christ. And so this is what God wants us to do, put off that old nature. So we must lay aside, strip off, as in the case of an old, filthy garment. And so that is our personal responsibility. It's like when um, a parent changes their child into their Sunday best and maybe has another child to attend to, a young child, and so they go to take care of the second child, but then the first child... Uh, went out the back door, was playing in the backyard, and jumped in a mud puddle, all right? And uh, then the parent looks at them when they come back in the house and just, ah! You know, you're not going to change that. those clothes too. Well, we're not children anymore. We can have the responsibility of changing our own garments. And so that's our responsibility, that we put that off, okay? So sometimes Christians ask the question, well, I'm not clear. What is God's part and what is my part? Well, very clearly, this is your part tonight. Change. Put off the old self, okay? Corrupt means spoiled, contaminated, rotten, perverted, evil. Lust means desires on steroids, okay? It's the strong desires of any kind that motivate our behavior, Ezekiel chapter 14, if you want to read that chapter later, Ezekiel calls those lusts an idol of the heart. Lusts are deceitful, according to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, because they promise what they cannot deliver. Maybe it's joy and peace or fulfillment or happiness. And then when you do it the world's way, then your conscience ends up getting smitten by God, and there's no joy and peace in sin. And so that's the deceitfulness of lusts, okay? Let's move on to truth number four here. God wants you to be more and more like Jesus by putting on the new man. 
So let's go to verse 24. That you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So understanding doctrine leads to appropriate change. So I've mentioned to you the teachings of chapters 1 through 3 versus chapters 4 through 6. Wonderful spiritual truths which remain vague until we actually have a practical application of what it looks like in our lives. But put on as in the case of a set of clean clothes, but to adopt new ways of thinking and acting. And that is your responsibility to put that on. So it's like when you have a little infant and then a toddler, but then by the time uh, they're getting to four and five years old, they should be able to know how to put on their own clothes, right? And so you start adding responsibilities to your child's life. Make your bed uh, when they get old enough to learn how to wash their own clothes, wash your own clothes. And uh, then, you know, it's nice when it goes from the Cheerios and the cut up food on the baby tray. And then they, you know, but then when they can find their own food and be a self feeder. And so you've got to become a self feeding Christian. You have to become a self dressing Christian. You've got to put on the new nature in Christ Jesus. And so that once again emphasizes the responsibility, personal responsibility for change. And so the new man, the new self, is the habits of thinking and acting which emulates Christ. All right, so look at that in verse 24. You put on the new man, which after. So it's pattern, the new man's pattern. It's after God created in righteousness and true holiness. So what is righteous living? What is holy living? And so righteousness, holiness, truth equals Christ-likeness. And we find that in the Bible, the Word of God. So put on the new nature. And so if you're going to say, well, what does that look like in practicality? All right. Well, verse 25 gives you, 25 through 32, give you all kind of put off, put on. But our next point in truth number five is this, God wants you to change by the renewing of your mind. So I'm going to ask you to do a question. I've asked you this before, so maybe you know the answer because you've heard me. But look at Ephesians uh, 4.28. Tell me what is the put off. Tell me what is the put on. But now since we're to our final point tonight, tell me what's the change of mind. All right, very quickly, what's the put off? Okay, put off stealing. And now what is the put on? Work, all right? What's the change of mind? Yeah, give. Look for the needs in another person's life. Because the thief is so consumed about self, he thinks of no one else. So God says, put that behavior off. Start working with your hands, but why? So you can become a giver. Do you, do you see in our culture the difference in society between givers and takers? Yeah. And very few people anymore 
are taught to think like a giver. We're all becoming takers. And our government is handing it all out and saying, take, 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 take. So we're not being taught to be like God from our government. We're being taught by our government to think like a natural person. Take, take, take. Right? So here we are to change the way that we think. All right? So the battle is between these two things right here. All right? It's in your mind. All right? So you heard me quote Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So in the New Testament or in the Bible, mind and heart, mind and affections are synonymous. There's, there's difference, but they're, they're synonymous in many senses. Okay? So think new thoughts. And that's what verse 23 is. All right? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So the new man, the new self, is in the habit of thinking and acting which emulates Christ. We've already seen that in point number four. But renewed is a complete renovation, not just a remodel. Okay? So you're not just going to put a coat of paint over the dirt. Okay? Uh, I had a Marine teach me the terminology for that, P-O-D, paint over dirt, okay? And so many times, religion is just P-O-D, spiritual paint over defilement, okay? So no, what God is wanting you to do is to rip it down to the studs, rip it all out, and not just a renovation, but a complete complete change and overhaul. And so this is found in Isaiah chapter 40. Now, the spirit of your mind is that which gives the mind both its new bent and its material of thinking. Um, For just a moment, let's go over to Philippians chapter 4. Verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure. This is Philippians 4, 8. Um, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, and if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, what? Think on these things. Okay, so let me just state an opinion here. The critics of Christianity say, that's brainwashing. Praise God, because our mind is being cleaned by the Word of God, which is pure. So yes, it is mind control. It's to have the mind of Christ. It's to have the mind of the new nature. Now, if they understood that, they would themselves think differently. But all education really is brainwashing, either with the filth and the mud of worldly thinking, or the pure water of the Word of God. So, this is something that I've had to learn in my own life, but it was reinforced as I was studying this out. Um, The commentator said, we must replace a habit, not break a habit. What's the difference? 
We must replace a habit, not break a habit. What's the difference? Yeah. You stopped doing something by breaking a habit, but you haven't fulfilled the biblical requirement for growth and change. You must replace it. And you have to be renewed. So, for example, when I worked at Jack's Discount Store uh, in the early 90s, my manager came to me and said, I'm thinking about firing you. <gasps> Why? Well, you're always late. And you take longer lunch breaks than you're supposed to. And uh, so he was gracious enough to give me another chance. And um, so I was highly motivated to change. And I kept my job, right? Um, but I know of uh, one of my dad's friends who was working at Dick Blick Art Supply there in Gelsberg. And uh, he would show up at three minutes past seven o'clock in the morning every single day. The habit was 7.03, okay? That card was stamped every day at 7.03. Only problem was it was supposed to be at 7. So his boss came to him and said, if you don't change this, we're going to fire you. And my dad's comment to his friend was this. Seems like you've got a pretty good habit. So you're capable of creating habits in your life. Now you just need to have a new habit and check in at 7 o'clock every day. Now that man wasn't willing to do that, and he lost his job. Okay? So we just can't break a habit. We must change a habit and be renewed in the spirit of our mind. So our goal is drastic change in our thinking process. All right? So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll close this out with these couple of verses. Ephesians 4, 25. Wherefore, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. All right, what are we supposed to put off? Falsehood, lying. What are we supposed to put on? Truth. Why? Yeah. No Christian is an island unto themselves. That's a different way of thinking about the truth, isn't it? The truth is not only for your own benefit, but for the benefit of others. Okay? Um, we're not supposed to be angry without a cause in verse 26. Not let the sun go down on our wrath. All right, that means be current. So don't be negligent. Don't let things fester and become bitterness in your life. Stop that. Rather, um, be current. Deal with those situations. Why? Why is found in verse 27. Because if you don't, the devil's going to take further opportunity for you. The word place, give no place to the devil, is the English word topos, where we get the English word topography, or in other words, a beachhead. The devil will land at the beaches of Normandy and set up his base of operation and conquer the whole continent. 
if you're an angry person. So put off anger, deal with situations right then and settle it. And don't give the devil a chance to destroy you. Think differently about what's going on. Now, you know how that works out practically? All right. Many times when people come to you, they're in this downward spiral. And that's why they've come to you, because they need help. So everybody wants to stop the downward spiral. I don't know of anybody who's come to me that says, yeah, I want to keep going that way. So they know that they need to put it off. And they know that something needs to change. So we show them that it can change into a set of stairs. And they can make progress one stair at a time. But the difference is in the way that they think about it. And so have the mind of Christ. Look at verse 28. Okay, Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Become others-oriented as Jesus was. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to be a servant, to minister, to give his life as a ransom for others. So Jesus was others-oriented. So we change our mind and conform it to the mind of Christ. You remember this verse? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of what? No reputation. Let's be very careful to have the mind of Christ. And so the battle is in our mind. So five key truths to grow and to change from Ephesians 4.